Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, equality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. It could well be a post-COVID itch or a global movement. Time will tell. But everywhere I look, we seem to see news stories discussing the role of finding purpose in our careers and what we can all do to secure more meaningful work. There's a severe talent shortage combined with significant depth in soft skills and AI is taking over some technical roles. People are experiencing peak levels of career frustration while work has become our primary source of identity, significance and meaning. We all want to be engaged in meaningful work, but how do we unpack what that really means for each of us as individuals? My guest, Nina Mapson-Bone, has a new book called Meaningful Work, which is based on world-first Australian data from a 1,000 participants to help readers define what meaningful work is, and it's a guide to unlocking career fulfilment. It includes heaps of case studies of people who found meaningful work, and in short, it shares their inflection points and at times more unusual paths they took it there. It also looks to the future of soft skills needed in organisations and why the solution is a much-needed generation of meaningful work. Nina has the credentials to back her book because she's a recruitment specialist and she's able to distill this journey to career fulfillment down to three key messages that can help anyone looking for more than just financial rewards and some new mates in their day jobs. I will put some more details about her bio on my show notes, but I want to welcome Nina to the Politics of Everything. Thank you very much. Great to be here, Amber. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automated post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay. As a kid, did you want to be a recruitment consultant or did you want to do something <laughs> far different and how did you kind of get to where you, where you got to, I guess, in terms of your career? Yeah, sure. So the main thing I wanted to be as a kid was a teacher and I actually talk about that in the book a little bit. But uh, when I left university, when I left school, sorry, I wasn't entirely sure then if I was absolutely clear that that's what I wanted to do. So I did my undergraduate degree first and by the time I had completed my undergraduate degree, I couldn't afford to stay on to do the uh, post-degree you know, conversion course that you do to do teaching. And so I thought, well, I'll work for a few years 
and come back to it. And I actually thought I'd go back to it right through to my mid late twenties for a long time. I thought I would go back to being a teacher at some point, but uh, it didn't pan out that way, Amber. Yeah. So how did you get into recruitment? Like what was that sort of, I guess, that step for you? And obviously that became your main career. I had done a door-to-door sales job, commission-only sales job, where I would spend my summer in the United States. I'm obviously from England originally. You can probably tell from the accent. And in that job, I did that through university and post-university. And when I worked for them full-time, we spent nine months of the year going around the universities, recruiting more students to come and be part of the summer sales team. And that was like being a recruiter for nine months of the year. It hadn't really occurred to me before then, but we were doing graduate recruitment, essentially, And I I love that aspect of it. So when I came to Australia in early 2000s with my then boyfriend, now husband, I knew that if you were good at sales and you enjoyed people, you could be good at recruitment. I knew people had gone into recruitment. So I actively pursued it more formally as a a career. I knew I could get a visa and stay in the country to do it. So the rest, as they say, is history. Excellent. And obviously, um, you know, you climb the ranks and, and have done that for a number of years. To get onto our topic today, and I guess dive into the idea of career or business purpose, I once heard that finding, I guess, what your kind of career or business offering might be is as simple as kind of going, well, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And what can you make money from? Is it really that simple? How do you define, I guess, meaning or purposeful work that's going to kind of see us through? Because we don't just want to do stuff just to trade time for money. Yeah, it's not that simple. If it were that simple, I wouldn't have needed to research it, look into it, investigate it more more thoroughly. The piece you talk about there, that kind of finding purpose and something you're good at, that's to do with what we call the individual factor, and that's an important part of it. But there are four factors to meaningful work, and there are many sub-factors underneath that. And I liken it to a journey. It's a journey, not an outcome. It's not a fixed point. So you're constantly looking at those different areas, tweaking them, working out what's changed for you. And it could be to do with your individual pieces, your strengths, your motivations, your personal beliefs, but it might be the job or the organisation or even the societal piece that's playing an element in whether or not you're finding work meaningful at that point in time. Absolutely. So is there a surefire way that all of us can get to the heart of what is meaningful for us? And I guess the second part to my question is, do you think that changes over time and we need to refine and evolve and focus on different things? Because I'm thinking, you know, different stages of life, you might be really just focused on getting that first job, being able to pay the rent, pay a mortgage. And then obviously as, you you know, you grow older and become more sort of socially engaged in certain areas, you might think like everything I need to do has to be focused on, say, helping more women become leaders or having impact in my work or reducing climate change. Like how do you actually, I guess, get to the heart of, of what Mean, meaning is for you at work and, and how we kind of, I guess, keep ourselves honest on that on that journey? I love that you're asking this question, Amber, because you really have hit at the heart of what makes it challenging. Because the first key message I talk about in the book is that everyone's path to meaningful work is unique. It is different for you than it would be for me to different listeners, to the, uh, the different stories in the book, the different people in the book. And so working out what it means for you is the first step, really taking the time to think about it. Often a lot of people sort of fall into something or do something because they thought they should study it when they were younger or they thought it might make a career path. But it does absolutely. And the the third key message you've picked up on there as well is that it does change over time. And being aware of how it can change and why it can change, you know, what you need to think about. Big life events have a big impact. So having children is one that we see come up in the case stories I share. Um, Almost all of them when they had children, that impacted quite significantly how they felt about 
their work. But any life changes can change, but also changes within your organisation or within your job might change how you feel about meaning in your work. So really thinking about it, being on top of it, treating it. I think of it like exercise or like health. It's something you have to work out. It's something you have to be on top of and really be paying attention to to ensure that you're always on the right journey towards meaningful work. And what are the four factors, I guess, of meaningful work and how do you measure them in yourself? Is it, Can you just sort of summarise that idea for us? Yeah, sure. So the first factor is the individual factor, and this is often a go-to. It's what we think about in terms of our strengths, our beliefs, our values, the personal narrative, the story we tell us ourselves about work. So that's the individual factor. The second factor is the job itself. So how much has the job been designed or modified to create and enable meaningful work, but also how well is the job designed to suit you in terms of, you know, volume and workload and deadlines, and that kind of side of things as well. The third one, which is a common go-to again, is the organisational uh, factor of meaningful work. And that's common because it includes the subsets of things like leadership, relationships you have at work, your policies, your practices, your culture. Often people think culture is one of the key things and it's an important one, but it's one of the subsets of organisation. And then the one that often we don't realise impacts us the most or can do is the societal factor. And the societal factor is about how much the culture and the society we live in, how much that influences our work choices. And obviously that's different levels for different people, but it's how much value is assigned to the work we do by the culture we're in, but also our access and means to work and how we feel that the organisation we're working with, how that matches our kind of cultural and societal beliefs around work. It feels very aspirational, but it is it too much to ask that all those things kind of align? And, and is that perfection necessary, I guess, to, to try and meaningful work? No. So it, it is. So it's not perfection is not necessary. Yes, it's very hard for all of those things to align to answer the two parts to your question. Um, it's very challenging. We're not, you know, we're human beings. We're imperfect. We work with other human beings are imperfect. Organisations aren't perfect. It's very difficult to find all four factors and all of the subsets within the factors being provided across the board. But the great thing is because meaningful work is unique to everyone as an individual, you only need to find the ones that are relevant and important to you. So knowing and understanding which of those factors and which of the subsets within those factors are important to you helps you really focus and hone in on those areas. And that's where it's important to understand it. So you can tweak you know, move the dial. I talk a lot about move the dial in your favour for the for the factors that are really important to you. And it, and it does sound like that might change over time and evolve over time because I think when you're younger, you may not even necessarily, but obviously, you know, you don't want to be too generalist about this, but you may not know what all those factors are yet. You're still discovering who you are perhaps in your 20s and you haven't really worked out everything. You might have an idea, but then you know, you go and work in an organisation which you think is going to like tick all those boxes and actually find that it isn't exactly what you want to be doing or the type of work you want to be doing. So, you know, how do you sort of check yourself along the way, I guess? It's a really good point because we do often, we are influenced by those around us, as I said, the, the culture and society. So sometimes we think we'll like something and then it's only through experience that we realise that we don't. And, I, you know, I have a perfect example of myself within this. I, I thought for a long part of my career once I decided I wasn't going to be a teacher that I wanted to work in you know large listed organizations I, I enjoyed that side of things but actually where I found meaning much more is in in a sort of small organization where we can contribute a bit more be personally connected a bit more to our clients and candidates it doesn't mean it's right or wrong the point being different types of organizations 
suit different people. And we see this, there's a great example of Pamela Bishop, who's one of the stories in the book. She's the chief operating officer of Blooms the Chemist. And she's only ever worked with two organisations, but her role has changed significantly through her career. And as the role has changed, kind of meaning she got at different times with the role, but also with things going on in her life. It's quite a fascinating story to, to pick out how that does change over time. Is there a way that we can create more meaning in an existing role or obviously the business you're already in recruitment? Is it about finding new jobs and is that an easier path to meaningful work? And I, I think of that in the in the in the wake of those trends like the great resignation and quiet quitting where people are kind of really restless and searching and there is that shortage of uh, a talent for the amount of jobs there is available. But, you know, is it always about bright, shiny objects and new things? Or how can you sort of, I guess, find some meaning in a role where maybe you've been there for a little while and it just isn't exciting anymore because you've been there for so long? <laughs> well, this is it. I um, I often, I talk about this a lot, that it's it's don't get distracted by the bright and shiny. It, it may be that the answer is to change roles, but don't let that be your, your go-to or your default because too often we see in our business, we see people that change roles and change roles and change roles and don't understand what they're getting wrong. And it might well be that actually looking within your own organisation, with your team, having a chat to your boss, there might be things that you can do that can make your current role much more meaningful and actually create a lot more enjoyment that will help you but also go on to help other people because it will create more meaningful workplace for others around you as well. So the trick is really to understand it, to know what your factors are. We have we have built a tool that's um, free and available for anyone to use, the Meaningful Work Profile tool, so people can go on and take their own profile and see what the factors are to them and and I would always advise caution and start by seeing if you can fix the challenges you have from within first and at least then you know before you jump ship and also you know if you get to a point where you want to jump ship as a result if you haven't been able to to change those factors and they are so crucial to you that you need to you're much clearer on what you're looking for so you're moving towards something rather than reacting and kind of moving away from something which often creates another or decision in terms of ending up still frustrated in a different Yeah, way. I mean, I've, and I've heard this this kind of newish trend where people are kind of the great regret, right? They basically, <laughs> they've taken, you know, the leap of faith, left somewhere that sounded great, probably offered some flexibility, who knows what the pay packet level was. You know, some people that's not the motivating factor, but it's, then they're like, oh my goodness, it's after a couple of months, this is not exactly as exciting and amazing as I thought it would be. I kind of wish I hadn't left my old job. It's really interesting you say that. We did some research through the pandemic, so through the tool, we've had now over four or 5,000 people, I've actually lost count, take the tool. So that gives us research, live research on a regular basis. And when we looked at what had changed as a result of the pandemic, surprisingly, one of the biggest shifts was actually how important career pathways were and career development was. So although there's all the you know hype in the media about quiet quitting and people moving to the countryside, we're not seeing that play out in terms of what people are actually seeking from a meaningful work perspective. So really knowing and understanding and seeing if you can get that first and then being clear yeah, to where you're going if you do move can make a massive difference. If you don't know, you're just, it's like, I always liken it to, you know, dating on, on Tinder. You're going from date to date to date, but you're not really clear on what you're looking for as well as what you're absolutely not looking for. Yeah, you're almost just hoping that one of the yeah. things will be really, it'll be really obvious and then you'll know it when you see it. But of course, workplaces and people are far more complicated than that. So it's like, it's interesting you talk about that trend and that survey and that tool that you've been using, because I think, you know, almost COVID and all the sort of mindsets around that, it almost can be put in some sort of 
bubble in a way and it, it isn't wasn't really reality it did spur some changes for certain people and I certainly made a tree change during that time but it, it certainly wasn't something that was only because of COVID if that makes sense it was something that was probably likely inevitable for me regardless of that of that circumstance. I think it's a great point we see one of the again one of the case studies in the book Matthew Sampson, he actually shifted, say same organisation, but significantly shifted his role within the organisation as a result of COVID. And he talks about that being a kind of breather to the escalator he was on, but, you know, would have been there anyway, I suspect. So it's just, the, I think, the fact that it let people really have the time to think about what was important to them. Absolutely. Are there ways that you think about finding meaning at work if it's not just your nine to five kind of everyday kind of what you get your paycheck for, what you make your money through? So I'm thinking like personal activities like volunteering, which I know some organisations encourage people to do, you know, with through schemes and so forth, or raising a family. Like how do you kind of find that meaning? So it's not sort of just all about the work piece, but I guess meaning in your whole life, really, a more holistic view of that. It's interesting since I've been on this journey, Amber, I keep applying the factors to things beyond work because I think there is a kind of, and I've not done the research there to know if that's true or not, but we do see that that that, that can happen. One of the things that came out of the research, though, was that the reason meaningful work has become such a hot topic is that those pieces you're talking about, particularly things like connection with community, so uh, knowing your neighbours, decline in church attendance, some of those things have fallen. That's where work has become more prominent in terms of our self-identity and our purpose and so absolutely you can find meaning in all the other ways and there are plenty of people for whom meaningful work is turn up do your job get paid so that you can pay your bills and do the other things that are meaningful to you absolutely nothing wrong with that at all as I say it's about what is meaningful work to you that's unique to you as an individual but knowing and understanding it still then makes the work meaningful because it's what allows you the freedom to do the things that are more important to you. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that most of us have actually gone through that at some point where we realised that, you know, I, I would describe myself as a reformed workaholic from my 20s and 30s. And like you say, having having a family can sometimes shift that, but also just realising that I like hobbies and I like to do things other than just work in my business and for my clients. And I think finding ways to make that as elevated as we do work really helps with your self-identity and it means that it's not all sort of hitching yourself to what's happening in the, in the workplace even though obviously that'll obviously be a big part of who I who I am and you know what I love to do as well so I think it's a, it's a great sort of litmus test for all of us. So as a recruiter what are some of the biggest challenges you're seeing in the current labour market? I have touched on things like the skills shortage and I guess you know probably the rise of AI and things like that are creating new sort of um, anxieties if you like and opportunities in that in workplaces depending on the types of roles that um, people are seeking. What else are you seeing that's really I guess making us um, think differently about uh, how we you know place people but also what, what sort of work we might look for? I think the piece that comes out of it, and it's tied in with AI and, as you say, the talent shortages, but the piece that comes out for that of that for me is the human skills that we're going to need for the workforce of the future. Uh, there's a report by Deloitte that talks about two-thirds of all jobs being soft skill intensive by 2030. And these human skills, they're things like metacognition, um, perseverance, grit, tenacity, um, ingenuity, creativity, collaboration, those kind of skills that are transferable and hard to measure in an interview process or a job process, they are going to be the skills that are going to determine how successful 
your career is, and they're going to be the skills that will be in demand no matter how much AI picks up in the next five, 10 years. I can't even begin to think about what's going to happen beyond that, but in the, you know, in the, in the sort of short to medium term. And yet we don't teach those skills. We don't teach those skills at school. We don't teach those skills in the workplace. We actually do here at Beaumont People, but most organisations don't teach, you know, how to have a difficult conversation, how to deal with conflict in the workplace, how to have a growth mindset. This is the stuff that's really crucial, I think, in terms of the future of work. We know that the research shows us that the coming generations are absolutely committed to meaningful work. It's a key, key driver for them. And it's these soft skills that will make them more successful and enjoy and have more engagement out of their work. But we also see it links to meaningful work. When they are engaged in meaningful work, they are better at collaborating. They are more creative. There is more psychological safety. So they do speak up and deal with conflict better. So it's a bit of a a, a kind of full circle where actually the AI, the talent shortage, you know, the next generation coming through the workforce all ties together. But human skills is key for me. Absolutely. And I think we've had a lot of articles recently just about, you know, there's always the generation we don't like, but it used to be millennials and now it's Gen Z and talking about them getting praise all the time before that so that they can function. And I guess we're looking at, you know, for the first time, maybe up to four generations in a workplace, um, depending on the size and the type of organisation. So my view is that we just can't ignore that generation because at some point they will be the dominant, most powerful leaders in the organisation. So what they are wanting and if that's meaning and connection and purpose and all of those things we have to pay attention to it because it's it's kind of the future of work as far as I'm concerned even though that might be uncomfortable for people as well and it's a challenge because it, they work differently you know this is the generation that have never had life without a mobile phone in their hand they don't make phone calls you know we've, we've had this conversation internally oh yes you know, they, I do know that text, everything is a message they you know they're, they're sliding into the dms of the ceo and I'm like I'm not sure about that <laughs> but you know there's a there's a there's a tension between people of my generation I'm generation x you know we need to adapt Me too. and kind of yeah. go okay it's okay to approach things in different ways but equally we need to teach them the skills because my biggest concern is there's going to be a yawning gap in the middle. When AI takes over all the task-based work, these this generation coming through, the, the, the Gen Z and the you know the millennials, they, they're not going to get the experience to learn those skills because we all, we all learned those skills when we were kind of going through our career in those lower level and middle level roles. But they're the roles that are going to be more affected by AI. And then suddenly we're going to need them in leadership positions with all these great human skills, but they'll have had no place to learn them so we have to get better at that yeah absolutely it's almost like it feels like they get to have a shortcut but what I'm hearing from you is that might backfire if they don't have some of those basic I guess the understanding of how to really engage with AI too we can't just let it become the lazy option it has to be something that we can I guess manage as well it's it's not just about doing the task it's about you know can you really on sell this information or is it you know, is it been sense checked? Has it had a human element to it? That's all the discussions we're having in my agency at the moment as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. What's the best general life or business advice that you've ever been given and why? So um, my dad said to me when I was very young, lots of times over and over again, the only piece of advice I ever want to give you is never to take any advice from anyone. Um, oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but what he, what I think he meant by that, he was, he was not a man who elaborated a lot, but what I took from that, let's say, is that it's important to listen and learn and ask questions. I'm a very curious person, but ultimately you have to decide for yourself what you want to do and what the right course of action is. And in some ways for me, that's always 
given me a position where I've I've never been worried about questioning authority. I've never been concerned about taking my own path. I've ne- always been comfortable to speak up. So I think kind of I've used that advice to really help me. And that's really helped me both in my personal life and my career. It's important to listen and ask and, you know, get feedback. But ultimately, it's your life. You know, you have to take Yeah, make your own decisions. You. Yeah. Absolutely. If we spoke again in a year's time, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why? Oh, I just would love people to be more connected to meaningful work. I see the challenges. I, I've seen, you know, I've been in this industry for nearly 25 years now, and I see the challenges day in, day out. And I, I think to myself, I say this all the time internally, nobody wakes up first thing in the morning and says to themselves, my entire goal today is to Am I allowed to swear? It's to upset as many of my colleagues as I can. I'm going to you, you can swear. Work. I don't know if I'll let you swear, but that's cool. <laughs> well, you know, you don't wake up and think, I'm going to just piss off as many people as I can today. That's my entire goal at work. Most yeah. people are trying to do a good job. Most leaders are trying to do a good job, but we lose so much in the communication breakdown. And so for me, when I when I started looking into all this research, meaningful work is the is the dial that can really help improve that for people. And where I see organisations doing it well, the difference it makes to their people, to their culture, but also to the organisational performance and to the leaders and their ability to lead is just huge. So I, I'm, you can probably tell, I'm very passionate about this, Amber. It's it's life-changing at an individual level, but it has significant impacts at a kind of economic, social level as well. So I just would love yeah. more people to be connected. meaningful work. And on that note, what would be your final takeaway message for us today on the politics of meaningful work? I would say it's not easy, but it is possible. And it's like anything worthwhile in life, you have to work at it. So it's worth the time um, and resources to invest in yourself to get it because the benefits to you are huge. Excellent. Well, thank you for being my guest today. And if you do want to connect further with Nina, of course, there's some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea, you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.